What course is that? Uh, that was where that might have been at Cougar Creek a few years ago, where we held our golf tournament. Or nice. I, no, that was this year at Millwood's Golf Course. Where okay, we held our golf tournament. very nice. Um, okay, so you and I write and talk about the orders a lot, and the, today I had a piece of full scap in front of me, and I'm about to write, and I'm like, but when they've won 15 in a row, it's angles are hard to find. Uh, points of view, takes that are new and fresh beyond, hey, they won 15 in a row are hard. Um, I think it's easier when they're losing a lot of games. Oh, it absolutely is. We were recording one of our podcasts here at the Nation Real Life yesterday, and we were sitting there, and there were some long pauses, and we were like, we don't really have as much to talk about versus when they were bad. Like, when they're bad, you're fired up. You want to talk about what changes they can make about this, and they're winning, and it's like, Hey, your beers were good last night. I was like, yeah, beers were good last night. Boy, this is fun. Yep, lots of fun. I'm like, that's kind of the conversation. So not as not as easy, I'll say, for you and I to do our jobs, but more fun to do our jobs, Low Tide. Is that a fair way to put it? Yeah, I think it is. And I, I, I didn't believe for a minute that that photo was true about you trying to cause the wave. I knew you would not do that. Not in a one-goal game. No. That's just, you know, you're testing the gods. Um I, one of the things that I love about your writing and I love about your work on the air and I loved working with you and we talked about it is your solutions to problems. So I, I, I think the goaltending might be solved. I think the defense, there's no real clear upgrade for CC. So we're probably looking at forward. Who do you like? What position and anybody specific in mind? I thought you were going to say that my solutions were always just, well, they're a 10 game heater away from figuring things out. <laughs> well, I don't want to, I... people already know that. So I don't have to repeat yeah. it. You know, <laughs> I finally got my 10 game heater. Um, but for me, it's top six, right wing, like even the bottom six. I know Frank was bringing up Nick Dowd to me today and I was like, okay, uh, like he does shoot right. That's interesting. He's got one more year. That's interesting, but he's, 33 and doesn't come with any offensive upside. And I looked at doing this bottom six and it's like, we're already having a conversation of like, ah, who are you taking out of the lineup for Corey Perry? So if you had another bottom six guy, it's like, ah, you know, who are you taking out of the lineup for them? Versus if you can go out and get a clear cut top six guy, it's very easy to be like, yeah, Matias Janmark's out because we got X. So who is X right now? I'm not sure if there's a slam dunk fit out there, but there's one name that I'm just keeping my eye on and I'm not going to take it off. And it's Tyler Toffoli, low tide. If the mm-hmm. Devils continue to slip and they aren't in the mix, Tyler Toffoli is a UFA at the end of the season, $4.2 million cap it. If they keep 50% of it, the Oilers could probably find a way to make this thing work, or maybe you get a third-party broker involved. But Tyler Toffoli would slide into the right wing. He's a playoff performer. He's a 35-40 to 40 goal guy. He's a scorer like there's so much to love about what the way he plays, and it's so easy to envision him as a perfect fit in the Oilers. You just need to get the Devils to a point where they're willing to sell a little bit and give him up. Well, and the, the one thing I'll say about Toffoli, and this has always been the case, he's a little bit like Zach Hyman in that he's always around the net. He has a sixth sense. He scores goals in bunches. He really is an offensive player. Like, there's no, you know, well, if he gets hot, he's, he's a very productive hockey player. Yeah, um, and again, he's been productive in the regular season. He's been productive in the playoffs, on a first-line role, on a second-line role, with or without power play time. Like, he just is a goal scorer. And I think adding that into this Oilers team and slotting everybody down a little bit, like if you keep, or if you were to go back to McDavid, Hyman, and Dreisaitl, or McDavid, Hyman, and Nuge, that would be excellent. And then imagine a second line that is Dreisaitl, Kane, and Toffoli. All of a sudden, your third line is maybe McLeod, Fogel, Holloway, and then your fourth line is, 
uh, Derek Ryan centering Corey Perry and Connor Brown. I know some of those guys would have to be flipped over and whatnot, but still, you start to look at a forward group, and that would probably be the best forward group in the NHL. Do you have any time, and I don't know that would have, in fact, I think it wouldn't happen, but if Elias Lindholm were, were made available to the Oilers, uh, is that a player you'd look at? I, he can play wing, but he's a center. Yeah, I think I would look at him just because, again, the line of flexibility it would give you. All of a sudden, Ryan McLeod could be a winger full-time for you, or maybe Dylan Holloway is a winger full-time for you. And it, and it just adds another layer of scoring to this lineup, which is something I think they should be intrigued by and looking to do. Lindholm at $4.8 million, 50% retained. That'll work. I just have this thing that I don't think the Flames are going to give him to you for market value. I think the Flames will trade Lindholm to Boston or to Colorado for market value. But I think to overcome the bad PR of, ooh, we might help the Edmonton Oilers win a Stanley Cup, you're going to want the Oilers to overpay. So would you rather overpay for Elias Lindholm or pay market value for Tyler Toffoli? I think I'd rather do the Toffoli thing. How good, on a scale of 1 to 10, was that Photoshop the Oilers did with Picard saying, make it so? Yeah, that was good. I'm not a big Star Trek guy, but even I understand the reference. That was excellent. And, hey, how about the backup goalie for the Oilers having a 9-15 save percentage low tide? Like, when Crazy. they brought him up, it was like, okay, are we doing Reimer? Are we doing this? What's it going to cost to get Mackenzie Blackwood? And now I honestly think Ken Holland can kind of not fully kick his feet up, but he can sleep a lot better at night going, hey, if I don't get a goalie at the deadline, we're going to be just fine. For me, Picard is a typical Holland signing. It's a quiet signing. Like in 2022 summer, people go, yeah, whatever. You don't even see him in the first year. And now he's like he's played eight games, got a 9.15 save percentage, 5-2 win-loss record. And we can, I think we can say with authority, you know, there's no guarantee Reimer is any better. And you can go down the line with all of the goalies that are going to be available to Edmonton, and there's no guarantees they're not necessarily better than Picard. Also, you always say it to me, Lothar. Goaltending is voodoo. It makes no sense. Go right now to NHL.com, as I am doing, and look at the save percentage leaders in the league. Alex Lyon is in the top 10. Joey Decord is a legitimate starter all of a sudden with Seattle. Charlie Lindgren, Anthony Stolarz, Alex Nedeljkovic. These are guys who are all in the top 10 of save percentage for goalies who played at least 10 games this season. The league is littered with guys like Calvin Calvin Pickard who bounce around for a while and then just for whatever reason, when they're 30 years old, just go, oh, look, I'm going to get hot. And that's exactly what Pickard's doing. So once he hits his 10th game, like, He's probably going to be in the top 20 of save percentage in the NHL, and he won't be a unique path, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The league is littered with guys like Pickard who just magically find their way at some point. So uh, I, so, I think Declan asked me yesterday to, to come up with a, a, like another moment in time where a 15-win now winning streak you know, had that kind of impact. And I, I thought of the Flyers in 79-80. They went 35-5. and five. Different era. There were ties, all of those things, but... Do you have any, in any sport, because I know you're a big baseball fan and, and uh, other sports, Any anything that you can reference for this 15-win streak and a chance, if they win on Saturday, to, to run the table in January? It's funny that you uh, asked me this, because on my show today, we were uh, my producer popped up this stat that was something like, the Oilers' 15-game win streak started when they were below 500 and at least 15 games into the season. When you look at the NHL, NBA, and MLB, the only other time that that has happened where a team has gone on a 15-game winning streak and it started when they were under 500, it was the 91 Minnesota Twins, and they went on to win the World Series tied. So 
I don't know what you could tell me about the 91 Minnesota Twins and if there's any parallels here, but like this is a streak that is not just rare for the Oilers, not just rare in the NHL. It's the kind of turnaround that's a rare story in all of sports. Yeah, they they were did they win in 80? I can't remember. I think that was their second one. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but what I remember about those teams most of all is that they had Jack Morris and I think they had one or two other pitchers, but they their, their fourth and fifth starters weren't fab in both years that they won. Um, but they had bats, and they were all young, and they were all very, very good. And Kirby Puckett's one of my all-time favorite players. So I remember that much about the Twins. Um, so final question for you, Tyler, and this is one that, that I, I've sort of thrown out all week, and I don't have an answer, but I know that there are uh, strong opinions on both sides. I know Ken Holland's made a lot of mistakes, and I know he's made a lot of good moves. I don't know how much credit should be applied to this team, no matter what happens. Uh, three series wins have occurred under his watch in five years, uh, two in a row, and then they had one last year. Uh, how much credit do you think Ken Holland deserves for this team, and does it overwhelm the mistakes that were made during his tenure? Man, that's a good question. I I think so. I think generally, I'm not saying he's a top five, top ten GM, but I think he's been a GM who's given them more positives than negatives. Like, to me, Zach Hyman has wildly outproduced his contract. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has wildly outproduced his contract. Bringing in Evander Kane was a great move, even if you could argue the subsequent extension wasn't great. $5.1 million for a guy who scores you 30 goals, albeit inconsistently gets to the 30-goal mark, that's honestly okay. Look at the blue line. Matthias Ekholm, that was a fantastic trade. You can point to mistakes. Some people don't love Cody Ceci, but at the end of the day, they got a guy playing first pairing making $3.2 bucks, and they're winning, and they're winning playoff rounds with that. So, again, I don't love Cody Ceci, but you can't deny he's outperformed that contract. The move to get Brett Kulak was a very, very good move. Signing Stuart Skinner for $2.6 million was a very, very good move. He has his warts. He's made his mistakes. But you can also point to a lot of clear-cut victories here. And people will say, well, they don't draft. Well, they don't do this. They're in win-now mode. They've been picking in the late 20s. And, yeah, I agree. They haven't drafted well under Ken Holland. But I'll take a team that's won three playoff rounds over a team that's going to draft well like they did under Shirelli. Second final question for you. When you saw the photograph uh, uh, directed at Oilers Nation uh, from Martin London in in, uh, Sweden with uh, he and Oscar Kleffbaum, did you think he could play right now? I can't allow myself to have that thought enter my brain because it just makes me sad <laughs> that they lost this guy in the prime of his career, man. That would, can you imagine him on the left oh side of the blue God. line right now? Oh, man. Well, I, they wouldn't have drafted Broberg. I'm pretty convinced, convinced of that. Uh, what's oh, coming no, up? They would have drafted Caulfield. <laughs> 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 Damn it. <laughs> uh, so what's coming up for you? Are you busy? Are you relaxed? Are you going to the All-Star game? I am going to the All-Star Game. I'll be out there with the Nation crew next week. So excited to do that. Do some live shows from Toronto. Also a little bit excited for this uh, bye week here and some downtime. So it should be a good seven days for, for me, Todd. Man, you know, I swear to God, I like you're starting off and it's like, you know, it started, it was like, you know, Frank's invited me. You know, he's kind of taken me under his wing. Pretty soon it's going to be like I I invited Frank to this party. I feel like <laughs> that at some point in time, the power base is going to change. I mean, maybe, but don't tell Frank that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. Have a great weekend, man.